as always, as oh, we on here yet? Okay. As always, it's uh, good to be here uh, to worship together. Uh, I love to be in the context of a worshiping body and to just sense the presence of the Lord. And uh, each time I'm here at Mount Joy, I sense that in a keen way, um, just by the things that are happening. A, a, a big thank you, Mitch and worship team. Uh, that was a that was a a buffet. <laughs> in the presence of the Lord, just uh, worshiping and, and acknowledging the goodness of God and just kind of settling into that last song and just being in the Lord's presence was just really, for me personally, was very precious and a, a thank you. Uh, Kim, uh, a dear friend of mine, and we don't see each other as often now that I'm not pastoring, but I just need to publicly say thank you for what you and the staff at Love, Inc. have done in this county. Uh, it is amazing. I know it's God. But I, I just needed to, to acknowledge that publicly, a thank you. When Carl asked me if I would be open to or interested in, uh, when I'd be open, interested in preaching, kind of gave me some options, particularly around series and things that are happening. And uh, this uh, not really mine one really grabbed me uh, for many reasons, but partly because I recognize how easily our culture is a culture of mine. And I loved, your, your children's story probably was even better for us than for the kids, not because you talked over their heads, but because we're all kids at heart. Uh, I always say that, you know, children, they do whatever is there, whatever is in their minds to say, they just say it. And then as adults, we just keep on doing the same things. We just find socially acceptable ways to get away with it. So people don't really know what's happening inside. But I think about it in the context of three grandsons, uh, and I'm watching them grow up together, James and Noah and Oliver, two oldest for my oldest daughter, and then Oliver is my middle child. Middle, middle child is a, a daughter as well. Uh, our youngest son doesn't have any children at this point. But that reality of those three interacting and watching them, in a sense, struggle around this trying to negotiate the mine part of things. Because whatever I have in my hand currently is mine, right? But if the other grandson wants mine, he's trying to make mine his. And recognizing how easily that gets distorted in our minds and confused in our minds. Whether we know how to kind of socially and, 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 and whatever acclimate that to where, you know, it's like people don't really think about it, and yet... At the heart, at the core, we ask ourselves the question, and this is what I think God wants to invite us into today, is asking the question about where are the things where, uh, like a little child, I'm holding on really tight and saying, mine. And this series really is about not really mine. And somehow trying to find a way that that goes from here, three words together, down to here where they become a lifestyle. Today we're focusing on the not really mine of money. Um, and I'm going to fo- be focusing on some broader categories at the beginning here, some stuff that I've done within the context of Everance and other places, uh, doing, doing teaching about that, but really s- circling back to this thing of money. And at the core, this series is really about stewardship. We just don't use that word very much and I'm not sure we really know what stewardship means in some ways. And I'm going to kind of go back. I'm 57 now. I grew up in this conference, at least from the age 10 uh, up. My parents were missionaries in Mexico. 
And when I came back at 10, we landed in LMC, and I pretty much have been connected here since that. But I remember sermons on stewardship, but sermons on stewardship were always about that thing that I had in my back pocket, the wallet, about money. And Everence has done a great job of expanding this, the definitions and, 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 and the understanding of that as well as teaching the church. But stewardship, a steward or stewardship, the steward is someone who cares for the house or the affairs of the house. They are, in a sense, a caretaker. But around stewardship, the dictionary says the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Not really mine. And so in that context, looking at it in kind of a broader picture than just money, although obviously money we view as as important and it's important to God, he uses it in many different ways in our lives. Um, We start on the money theme, and and, uh, Pastor Carl already had done some of this in kind of snapshots of different things that we're going to look at in the introductory sermon but talked about, in that context, the big picture. The big picture is God owns everything because he created everything. He created it and gave it to us. The earth, the time, our talents, our money, our bodies, our health, our relationships, community. And one of the things that God gives us to enjoy, takes care of us, and he blesses us with the ability to buy things, the things that we need. I still remember that aha for our children when they were small and that... That blasted ATM machine always got them confused. Because whenever we say we don't have enough money, they just say, just go back to that machine and get more money. So we had to have that conversation that actually someone earned that money. It went into the bank and then through our technology could come out. But you can't take it out unless you have some in the bank. But at times we've done ourselves a disfavor by making it look like money comes too easily. Credit credit debt and credit cards have made it very, very challenging in our culture for people to live within their means because I can give you plastic and get what I want even though I really don't have the money to pay for it. Carl began uh, also at the beginning of this series talking uh, in the money one, talking from 1 Timothy uh, 6, 17 through 19, and I, just, I, am, I invite us just to reflect again on these words, which simply says, uh, again, from New Living Translation, a modern-day paraphrase in a language that we use today, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use the money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Those are solid words. An incredible kind of almost life direction statement about how we view money and how we look at that. I'll be picking up with this same chapter uh, a few verses later for the text of my message, but first I'd like us to pause simply to ask the Lord to bring fresh revelation in, in the midst of what we're sharing here today. So Lord, today I ask you for this body gathered. I thank you for each one here. I speak blessing over them in Jesus' name. Blessing over them in every way. And particularly, Lord, in, in the area of, of, of financial prospering, I ask for that within the context of their need 
and their call to share that with others. And so we ask for new insights that free us up in new ways to walk in the fullness of what it means to be stewards of what you've given us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. So to begin with here, I'd like to share a couple of, of, of concepts that I think I find helpful when I think of a title I've used before, whole life stewardship. So not really mine means everything that the world considers mine is not really mine. It's been given to me. And I think your illustration, Carl, was so powerful. This has been given to you. Food's been given to you. A house has been given to you. But in that sense, it still is just a gift that I am the steward of. And so I'm constantly asking the one that I'm responsible to, how would you have me use that which you've given me? All that I have, all that I can do, all that I am, they are yours, Lord. They are not really mine. And this new way of looking at things is, is to, to look at all of these things, all these things would be given in some way connected to capital. And we talk about capital in the business context of if I, if I want to buy a house, if I want to buy a business or do something, I have to have capital to be able to do that, right? I need to have the ability to do that. I can't just say, I want to do that. I have to have something to back it up. And God has also given us things to invest. Just as we have capital for a house or a business, we have capital to invest in the kingdom. And I want us at the beginning here just to talk about these five capitals and how we can be, be investing them in the, in the context of the kingdom. Money, of course, is one of the first capitals that we'll think about investing, but there are others that are here as well, sources of capital in our lives. In their book, Oikonomics, and it's a very small one, any of you could read it, uh, Mike Breen and Ben Sternke uh, in this book, Oikonomics, using the term of oikos, our community, and economics, putting them together, oikonomics, how to invest in life's five capitals the way that Jesus did. And I'm drawing heavily from that in this first part of, of the input. They say we often hear the call to discipleship only through the lens of sacrifice or surrender. Look at what we're losing. Look what I gave away. But Jesus rarely spoke this way. When he talked about discipleship, he always spoke through the lens of investment. Look at what we're gaining. He promised people that what initially looks and feels like a sacrifice will pay off in the end, which is essentially the same thing as making a good investment. Sternke and, and Breen in the same book talk about the five capitals that we can invest in. And we'll look here at these five capitals. This is the list of those, and I believe there, there are a hierarchy of importance in these. Some of these, they're all important to steward well, but some of them are more important that we're investing in in a, in a very focused sort of way. And in this sense, they, that, 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 that importance is in an ascending order from bottom up, where spiritual capital is that which is most treasured and important as a part of what God invites us to and calls us to. Financial is at the very bottom that yet at the same time often when we think of capital we think of money being the primary means of developing and having capital to invest. Financial camp, capital simply the money that we have available to invest. 
We're most familiar with this one because we work with it every day. Intellectual capital, the knowledge we've acquired, as well as our ability to bring ideas and creative solutions to the table. Higher value than financial capital because you can't create ideas and inspire creativity simply by spending a lot of money. You still have to find the person who has that capacity, that gift, that intellectual capital. Physical capital, our ability to devote time and energy to people and projects. And this comprises the time we make available as well as the capacity we have with that time, to use that time. And we all love and treasure time, don't we? Time is a premium. My time. Again, you get back to that mine. You know, this is how I use my time. Oh, really? Who gave you life? Who breathed into you the very time you had? Who gave it to you? It's the one who created you and who sustains you every day. So it's not really my time. It's his time that he gives to me to be a steward of that time. Relational capital is, refers to the quality and quantity of our relationships with others. <clears throat> our relationships with others. Having family and friends is valuable, extremely valuable, and the amount of relational capital we have impacts us in many ways. From our overall sense of well-being and happiness to a sense of connectedness and wholeness. And then spiritual capital is that deep connection with God and an understanding of God's kingdom purposes for for your life, for my life. Nothing brings greater fulfillment and kingdom impact than regular investment in nurturing our relationship with God. This is most important uh, and more important than the relational capital, the physical capital, the intellectual capital, and the financial capital. I'm briefly, again, as a way of kind of putting these in context, moving through these, now starting at the top of the hierarchy and moving down. First of all, spiritual capital, uh, and that, again, is walking with God, connection to God, deep awareness of God, communion with God, which Sternke and, and, and Breen define as that key question, how much spiritual equity do I have to invest? And the currency is wisdom and power. You think about it in the context of of the life of Jesus. What was the depth of relationship he had with the Father? It was daily, hourly, minute by minute, he was walking with the Father. Walking along, and sometimes he'd hear the voice crying out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he responded because the Father said, that one. But do you think that blind man was the only one who was crying out for the healer to come and touch him? No. He responded because he was walking in an intimate, intimate way with the Father. He carried more spiritual capital than any other human being before or since. And the two things that people around him were constantly amazed at were his teaching, which reflected a large storehouse of wisdom that he shared. People always were amazed at his teaching. And his miracles, which reflected the great amount of power that flowed through his life. That was the currency. That was the way that he could spend it and engage in that because this connection was there, which meant that this connection moved with wisdom and with power wherever he went. According to Jesus, spiritual capital is the most valuable of the capitals. You could say that his whole mission was to help people, especially his disciples, to prosper in spiritual capital and through that spiritual capital with all the others. Secondly is relational capital, and I'm going to keep moving here because I want to move into the context of of money, but uh, 
how much relational capital do I have? And the currency is family and friends. Kim, you referred in your sharing about relational poverty. We live in a culture that is starved, literally starving for a sense of connectedness, community, and care. It's here in this circle at some levels, but it's not here near as much as it is in many pockets of our society where people are saying, would somebody just love me? Would somebody just, they don't know that that they have these words, but they're there, be Jesus to me in some way. And you use that imagery, Kim, of a conduit of grace between God and your neighbors. We become the conduit of that grace flowing through us into other people's lives. Relational capital is more valuable than physical, intellectual, financial capital because you can't really do anything of value without a relationship with someone else. That's that's the flow. That's the way in which God is at work among us through people. I think of it in the context of a network of business. I won't even call it business leaders, but just marketplace influencers called Business Community Network. We meet monthly and, and, and gather together just around that whole thing. And at the core is really this vision statement. God drawing people into relationship through the marketplace. It's not about how do we evangelize in the marketplace. It's how are we being God in the midst of the places where we're working, in the context of relationships there, that God's building relationship through the place where we're serving and we're at. Not that we're saying, how can I get a word in edgewise to tell him the gospel? It really is, how can I be connected with him relationally so I am the gospel in those? It doesn't mean I never speak about the gospel. It's just simply saying, my goal is to relationally be linked and connected to them. The truth is that in essence, you can't really do anything with your physical, intellectual, or financial capital unless you at least have a little relational capital. Thirdly, is the physical capital, how much time and energy do I have to invest? And the currency is in hours and health. It is our ability to devote time and energy to people and to projects. And this comprises the time we make available as well as the capacity we have to use that time. And I said before, we all love and treasure our time. This is one of those ones that's often so hard to give away. Because like, well, I, I really wanted this amount of time for myself. And we could, in this context, I think one of the things we need to re- recognize is that we can invest in physical capital is honoring our limitations that we have as human beings. You can't be everywhere all the time. You need to recognize there's a place and a space and a context where I'm going to give my time away and I'm going to connect. But I also have to have the times like Jesus, though he tended to use his nights to do that. I'm not sure how he did that. And went off and spent the night praying and then he went back to ministry. I always say that's because it was divine, but I I really think it was something different than that. It was he knew that that was critically important to be about in his, his ministry. So honoring our limitations Getting proper rest and living in the rhythm of life that allows us to work and play hard is essential if we're going to be stewards of our long-term physical capital. Intellectual capital, of course, is how, how much creativity and knowledge do I have to invest? And the currency is concepts and ideas. I said earlier already that, that you can't just throw money, uh, you know, the, 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 throw all the money in the world at a problem but it won't get solved until someone brings some intellectual capital to bear on the situation to come up with creative and workable solutions. 
God has gifted us with different capacities, different gifts. So even in terms of what you bring intellectually or creatively to a context is going to be different. But it's a part of that currency that's there. The currency, again, is concepts and ideas. And Jesus wasn't just a holy person who prayed a lot. He was also a wise person who thought a lot. He had intellectual capital, and he used it to train his disciples, to teach the crowds, and also to answer his detractors. And then lastly is financial capital. How much treasure do you have to invest? And the currency is dollars and nickels, since we were working on nickels today and not cents. It's the amount of money that we have to invest. Now, in truth, every one of us probably have, has more money to invest in others than we actually give away because that old mind factor comes in. <laughs> I want to make sure I have enough. And, oh, yeah, there's a little extra. Here's a little more that I can give. Where's the places that we give generously, but we also give sacrificially as we hear the Father speaking to us and we respond One of the challenges in this capital, and now we're kind of moving into the one that I really want to focus on for today um, around not really mine money, is this arena of financial capital. First place we get in trouble is to overvalue financial capital. Society and in our world, just as in Jesus' day, often it valued financial capital as the most important thing in life. We've identified it as an important piece, but really at the lower end because these other things need to be in order uh, to use that effectively. So our society and our culture values financial capital as the most important thing. We sacrifice all kinds of other capital. All kinds of other capital are sacrificed to get it. You know what I mean? I mean, like, yeah, sure. I, I don't have time because I have this, this, and this I have to do. And so therefore, I'm going to have to work these evenings and this weekend because it's the only way I can pay for the things that I've already bought. Now, we live in a culture and context where that's just so real that every one of us at some level has to say guilty as charged because it's just a part of the culture we live in. But overvaluing financial capital is an error. The second place we get into trouble is to devalue financial capital entirely, looking at it as something evil or tainted. Since overvaluation is a problem on one end of the spectrum, devaluing money entirely must be the virtue on the opposite side. But we always know there's, it's, not, it's not this or that in the kingdom. It's often something in between, a third way that says, this is really, really important. And God is inviting you to be a steward of managing what he gives you. Not to overreach and get more than you're called to do or to say, well, I don't really care about money. Well, all of us care about money at some level because you just have to pay your bills. But the reality of trying to somehow have that virtue that I don't care about money. For the core of the message, I'd like us to together reflect now back into 1 Timothy 6. And you're, you're free to t- turn there. I'm actually going to be reading this passage again from the New Living Translation. Uh, as I mentioned, a paraphrase. But I want you to listen with me to the ways in which Paul writing to Timothy frames this in really a teaching moment with, with, with Timothy. And he's, he's been teaching and mentoring and discipling Timothy. And he's recognizing, wow, there's, there's a lot of voices out there that aren't lining up with kingdom priorities. But they're voices that are easy to hear and 
in that context at times to confuse and to, and to, and to, and to get distorted. So I'm going to start in 1 Timothy 6, uh, actually the last phrase from uh, verse 2, and then on through 10. So listen with me and listen carefully to what catches your attention. Teach these things, Timothy, and encourage everyone to obey them. Some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person, person has, an unhealthy desire to quibble, has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and, and evil suspicions. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on God. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet, true godliness with contentment is, it's, is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's a pretty powerful, pretty powerful passage and a pretty challenging one for those of us who live in the context of capitalistic North America. Let's just say United States. We won't include our Canadian neighbors in that right now. Um, but a recognition of what's, what we're in in the culture and what's there, it just drives us toward that place where this kind of twisting or deception or confusion about this, particularly as it relates to money, so easily creeps into our lives. Verse 5 in particular caught my attention as I spent time sitting with this passage where it said, to them and those that have become deceived or whatever, to them a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. A deception. But I looked at that and I said, Lord, have mercy because so much of what we've done in Christendom in North America has been a marketing enterprise to make money. And we've missed, at the core, much of what the gospel is about. This is not a word of judgment on any, anybody specifically. It's a cultural thing that is around us, which so often we're more focused on getting the next book or the next video or whatever it, whatever it could be to keep our ministry or whatever it is going, but often falling into a trap where we've lost the heart of what's there. I remember... Uh, and this isn't in my notes, but it comes to my mind, so I'm going to share it. I remember a time when uh, a dear friend of mine from Brazil uh, who was working with YWIM in Brazil, we were sending yes teams at that point to work with him. His name was Jaime. And Jaime and I were, he was in the States here visiting. He was teaching at the Yes Center. And we went to Provident Bookstore. Provident still existed. And we went to Provident Bookstore, and he walked through and saw all this Christian material and then he saw more Christian material in English and English. Then he found a small section of Spanish and none in Portuguese, which was his language. And at one point, he looked over to me with tears coming down his face, but, it were, but he was furiously angry. He said, how can you do this? How can you have so many resources, 
and so much good stuff, but it's not shared with the rest of the world. And I kind of wanted to fight, like to be defensive. Like I like a lot of these authors and a lot of this stuff is good, but his point was well taken. It's probably not just about Christian books and Christian resources that there's a hoarding of those things. It's probably about everything. And it also pops up and shows up even in the context of the church that we're a part of. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not being judgmental here. I'm simply saying, using an example of the places where we quickly fall into a place where our godliness is a way to become wealthy and just to check ourselves and say, Lord, help us. And that's verse 6. It says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself, is itself great wealth. And that's right understanding that when we have, when we have the spiritual capital focused and we're connected with God, it doesn't so much matter where we live, what we have, and even what our circumstances are. Because the thing that matters most is still treasured in our hearts. And I don't have time to go into details, but having spent time with the persecuted church in Ethiopia and in Indonesia and other parts of the world, and then also seeing incredible poverty and those places of incredible poverty, seeing an incredible love for Jesus and delight and joy, right away I'm convicted at the core of my being because I recognize that other things have defined my sense of God being good and God being faithful than just knowing him and walking with him. He continues on in verse 7, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we, can take, we can't take anything with us when we leave. And we've heard that one before, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to expound on that, either, other than to simply note, when you have time this afternoon, when you have time this afternoon, spend some time just reading through Matthew 6, 19 through 24, that talks about storing up treasures in heaven. We're not going to go there because of time, but I'll simply say, when you have some time this afternoon, spend it reading at least three translations or paraphrases as a way of hearing it in different ways. At the core, it talks about storing up treasures in heaven, and I'll leave you with that question. What does it look like for there to be treasures in heaven for you? And I'm not talking about stars on your crown, okay? I'm going to close simply with verse 10, where he's simply speaking to Timothy, and we get to listen in, He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And I want us to be attentive here because when we're talking about financial stewardship, it is about the fact that that money has not gripped us and does not control us. Money doesn't win. But the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in that context, recognizing that we live in a culture and a subculture where there's so much obsession and focus with money and things. And it so easily robs our heart and twists and contorts things because it has been placed as the highest value in our culture and context and time. And this isn't new. It's everywhere all the time, but particularly in a culture based around capitalism, it thrives and grows and captures and holds. I'm going to close with a couple of reflection questions for you. 
In what ways have I viewed money incorrectly? Maybe there was something I shared or there's something that from Scripture or whatever begins to turn the page or shift something to a different place. And how is God calling me to uh, godly stewardship of the financial capital that I do have? I'm going to close with one more grandson illustration because they, uh, they make me laugh and they make me cry and they convict me all the time. I, I think my grandsons have been some of the best teachers for me uh, uh, of things that God is instructing. Not too long ago, our daughter moved from Wilmington uh, where she was doing her residency and, and moved back to the area. And so we, we had a, a day when all of us were together just kind of moving, packing, and, and they had bought a whole bunch of Ikea furniture. Ikea furniture is wonderful, and it takes forever to put together, especially if you have more than five pieces. So we had teams in different rooms putting this together, and there's always that special tool, right? That tool that doesn't really work, and you should find another tool that does it, but it doesn't, the real tool doesn't always get into the little nooks and crannies, so you have to use that crazy little wimpy tool to get it done. And we're there working, and Noah... The, the middle of the three, two and a half, uh, we won't go into describing Noah's character, it's just Noah's pretty intense. And uh, we're looking around and we're like, where is that tool? And somebody says, Noah has it. And Laura, uh, my middle daughter, said, Noah, could I have that, that tool? And his re- quick rest- retort was, nope, using it. He wasn't even building the furniture. He wasn't even a part of what was there. But you know what? He had taken that precious little tool and he had the tool and was messing around with it and wasn't even using it for, and I'm robbing here because it isn't there, he wasn't even using it for kingdom purposes. But he couldn't even give it away because he had to say, nope, using it. How many times have we been in a place where what God has given us isn't being stored in for the kingdom. And our response is, nope, using it for me, for what I want, for my purposes. We don't even think about it because, again, we're not quite as brash as those little children who will say whatever they think. Some of us are. But a reality of that place where God's inviting us into a different kind of thoughtful stewardship around the capital of finances, around money. Not really mine. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. And we thank you for the way you continue to stir in us and call us to new ways of obedience, to be stewards of the good news, to be stewards of the gifts you give us so that the good news can actually be seen for what it is. And we confess that we fall short of that many times. And that what you've given us, we've taken and we're using it for something it wasn't meant for. And the only thing that we can respond back to you when you say, Keith, could you do this, is nope, using it. God, by your spirit, would you stir in us and speak to us, not just today, but this afternoon and tomorrow and throughout this week. Transform us and change us into your very nature and your character. And may you receive all the glory and the honor. In the strong name of Jesus we pray. Amen.